You're listening to an excerpt from The Case for United Prayer, a compilation of works by Jonathan Edwards, Samuel Prime, and Richard Cross. The chapter you are about to hear provides a detailed account of the Third Great Awakening that began in New York City in 1857 and spread throughout the world. Chapter 7 Revival Everywhere In February, Philadelphia established a noonday prayer meeting, commenced at first in a church in 4th Street, but soon removed to Jane's Hall. Soon, the entire accessible places were filled, floor, platform, galleries, boxes, aisles, and office. Never was there, scarcely on the face of the earth, such meetings as those in Jane's Hall. The death of Reverend Dudley A. Ting of the Episcopal Church, a prominent leader in these meetings, gave an impetus to the work. And here again we find Bishop McIlvain lending his influence by his presence and his prayers and preaching. The work spread from Jane's Hall all over the city. Prayer meetings were established in numerous places, public halls, concert rooms, engine and hose companies' houses, and in tents till the whole city seemed pervaded with the spirit of prayer. Prayer meetings almost simultaneously were established in all parts of the land, both in city and country. Boston, Baltimore, Washington, Richmond, Charleston, Savannah, Mobile, New Orleans, Vicksburg, Memphis, St. Louis, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Chicago, and other cities shared in this glorious work. The whole land received the spiritual reign. The fervor of this awakened religious interest had become intense at the end of the fourth month of the meetings and towards the close of the first month of the current year. The newspapers, both secular and religious, in all parts of the country, speak of an unwanted revival of religion in all quarters, far and near. Everywhere men were crowding to the meetings, and the spirit with which they are impressed and which invites them to so general attention to the subject of religion seems to animate the whole land. Everywhere men were crowding to the meetings, and the spirit with which they are impressed and which invites them to so general attention to the subject of religion seems to animate the whole land. The northern, middle, western, and southern states were moved as by one common mighty influence. The spirit of the revival spread everywhere and seemed to permeate every nook and corner of the great republic. The subjects of the revival included all classes, the high and the low, the rich and the poor, the learned and the ignorant. The most hopeless and forbidding were brought under its almighty power. From the highest to the lowest and most degraded in society, the trophies of God's power and grace were made. Persons of the most vicious and abandoned character supposed to be beneath and beyond the reach of all religious influence, by having lost all susceptibility, were brought to humble themselves like little children at the foot of the cross. Christians were themselves astonished and overwhelmed at those displays of divine mercy. 
they felt that God was saying to them anew and by a providential revelation, Before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. Christians became emboldened to ask great things and expect great things. Never before in modern times, certainly, was there such asking in prayer, such believing in prayer, and never such answers to prayer. The spectacle of such universal confidence in God was without a parallel. It appeared in all prayers, it appeared in all addresses, it appeared in all conversations. It spread from heart to heart. There was humility, and yet there was a cheerful, holy boldness in the spirit and temper of the religious mind, and duty was attempted with the expectation of success. It seemed to be upon all hearts as if written with the pen of a diamond. My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from Him. Is it wonderful, then, that we should find that the state of heart and mind in all praying places and praying circles, this earnest asking, this humble confiding, this far-reaching faith and confident expectation should be followed by such a work of grace as the modern Christian world has never seen? Christians began to feel that they had entered upon a new era of faith and prayer, And is it wonderful that this new joy and hope spread with vast rapidity over the land, that it rolled like a wave over the whole country? The numbers converted were beyond all precedent. The great revival in the times of Wesley, Whitfield, Edwards, and the tenants was marked by powerful preaching, the present by believing, earnest, praying. In New England, the present Great Revival commenced almost simultaneously in many cities, villages, and townships. Since the former Great Awakening, as it was commonly denominated and just referred to, nothing had borne any comparison to the present religious interest. This Great Awakening surpassed the former in all its aspects. It entered into all the framework of society and permeated everywhere the masses. Christians gathered for prayer and asked for large measures of the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon them, and the Spirit was sent down in copious effusions in answer to prayer. The prayer meeting would be established in lecture rooms and vestries, and all at once it would be found that scarcely could the largest churches contain the hundreds who would come up to the house of God to pray. Nothing was thought of or demanded but a place in which to pray. Conversions multiplied so that there was, after a little, no attempt to compute their numbers. In some towns, nearly all the population became, as was believed, true and faithful followers of Christ. The number of converted men and women constituted a new element of power. New voices were daily heard imploring the divine blessing on the work and the moral transformation of those remaining impenitent. 
The day was breaking that should be gilded by the rays of a brighter sun than had ever shone upon the moral and religious world before. This was believed. It is believed now. Over all the West and South, so far as the work extended, and it extended almost everywhere, the same spirit prevailed. It was the spirit of prayer. No confidence was felt in the mere use of means. Indeed, in no former revival was there ever such abnegation on the part of Christians of themselves. Such distrust of all mere human agencies and instrumentalities, and such a looking away from all human aid and up to the heavenly hills whence all help must come. Means must be used, and were used, not with any confidence in the use of them, or in those who used them, but with the most diligent and earnest use of means, the deepest possible conviction seemed to be, the power belongeth unto God. No wonder, then, that everywhere there was the universal acknowledgement of God's hand in the revival, and no matter what men did to promote it, to God was ascribed all the glory of it. It was everywhere felt that a proposal of any such meetings for prayer six months before, as were now held all over the land, even in the densest populations, with any expectation that it would be heeded, would have been considered a perfect absurdity. The appointment of such meetings for prayer then would have been a failure. Now it was a success. The neglect of the place of prayer by the majority of church members was felt to be a sore evil. It paralyzed the energies of the pastor and the more active faithful members. They were drones. They were a weight which had to be carried. They were clogs in the way of progress. They neutralized the moral power of the church and so weakened it that it was a constant effort for it to sustain itself. Every man who has been a pastor knows what we mean. The change which came suddenly over the church was most welcome. When the majority of the church became Nathaniel's, it was soon felt that the church had just begun to find out her real power. It was a blessed spectacle presented to the world. A church alive. A church active. A church of prayer. It was a sublime spectacle when this was seen to be the moral position, not of one church, but of a majority of churches. Not in one place, but in every place. When all the land seemed to be moved by one common impulse, no wonder that Christians felt joyful in the Lord when this new element of usefulness and power was found. You've been listening to an excerpt from The Case for United Prayer, a ministry of SermonAudio.com. The purpose of this book is simply to inspire and invigorate God's people to take up the same mantle in our own generation and to give ourselves continually to prayer. Remembering God's marvelous works in the past enlarges our faith in the place of prayer and gives us bright hope for the future. May God bless this humble attempt.